Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Uh, when we go back uh, throughout history, it's pretty fascinating to watch the different moments where God shows up. And as we go all the way back to World War I, you would be surprised how fast the tensions escalated, how fast the hostility um, was, was really just, I mean, things just started to blow up about 106 years ago at the assassination of this man. Um, his name is, is Franz Fitzgerald, and he was an archbishop of Austria. And so when he got assassinated, all of a sudden, fingers started getting pointed uh, things started to escalate, and next thing you know, we're in a global conflict. And things went really, really quick. I mean, Austria declared war on Serbia because they said Serbia was the, the culprit in the assassination. Russia then declared war on Austria. Germany declared war on Russia. France declared war on Germany. Germany declared war on Belgium. And Britain declared war on Germany. I mean, it just, all this happened in a moment, in, in a matter of days. It just escalated so quickly about 16 to 20 million people lost their lives during World War I, 21 million wounded, mainly from this tactic of battle called trench warfare. Now, trench warfare was this uh, type of, of tactic where you would dig this trench in the dirt. You would draw a line, you would dig deep, and then you would bury yourself in that trench, in that position and there was really no eye-to-eye combat, so you couldn't really see your enemy, which kind of took the emotion out of it. And they would just hurl and fire ammo across the battlefield to the other people. And, and this tactic alone was one of the reasons for all the loss of life. But then in the middle of all this, 1914, six months into the war, Christmas Eve, the game changed. Something shifted. How many of you guys know one moment in God's presence can change everything? One guy rushed to the middle of the battlefield. He didn't have any weapons on him. We don't know if he was a French, German, or British soldier. He ran to the middle and he declared a ceasefire. He wasn't holding a weapon. He, he kind of threw his arms up. And these guys were divided on a lot of issues. They were in the fierce of the battle. I mean, they had murdered one another's soldiers. But there was one common thing that, that they had together. And that was that the Christians on all sides wanted to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And so that led to this incredible moment where they started to do this. They started to have a conversation. And the next thing you know, they started to celebrate together. They started to, to you know, kick the ball around. They exchanged gifts. They put together a Christmas tree in the trenches and took pictures with one another. And so, I mean, just the unimaginable, imagine, this is in the middle of battle. But I love when God shows up right in the middle. And the next day when they had to go back to fighting, they were struggling. In fact, the captains were like, what, what, what's going on? And they had to start repositioning the men to different units because they refused to shoot their guns. Like, man, how can I kill this guy? I was just celebrating with him. Like, what in the world? And this was declared the Christmas truce of 1914. And so as, as we look at this Christmas Eve, 106 years ago, I think there's something significant. We may not be in trenches today, but there is a lot of trench warfare happening. On social media, people are drawing lines. 
There's been a lot of lines drawn in 2020, a lot of people buried in and just kind of their beliefs and just bah, bah, just throwing ammo at other people. I mean, it's been crazy. And I just wonder if this Christmas, just like 106 years ago, that God would step into the middle of maybe the pain and the war in your heart, maybe the war that's taken place within your home, maybe the battles of everything that you've had to wrestle through this year, and maybe some of uh, uh, so, some enemies that, that you've created or that uh, people have created you as their enemy, maybe in the midst of all of this chaos, the presence of God, one moment in his presence, would, would, would cause a, a ceasefire as we acknowledge the birth of our Savior. Now, presence is just powerful. Just, just presence alone. I, I mean, present, presence has the ability to bring relief, but it also has the ability to bring disappointment. It has the ability to change the atmosphere, whether good or bad. You remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong and then your dad got home or your mom got home or your auntie, uncle, grandma, whoever got home, who was in charge, and, and they stepped in and their presence was like, oh, no, they're home. Presence can bring security, it can bring insecurity, it can bring comfort, uh, it can bring restlessness, it can bring fear, or it can bring peace. And can I just tell you, there's something about presence that can almost feel like a sense of refuge. Remember when you were a kid, I don't know if you were like me, but I would get lost in the store all the time, especially the department stores, I would hide in the clothes. Anybody ever do that? Like, like, you remember when they used to have racks? Uh, you didn't order online. You actually went to the store and bought your clothes. And, and, and I would hide in the racks for my mom. But sometimes I would get lost. And I just remember those moments in the grocery store as I'm, I'm looking for my mom. And, and, and a shadow would come out from the aisle that looked like my mom. And I just remember the hope that would fill my heart. Like, oh, my goodness, my mom, is, I found her. And, and I, I just, as I look throughout the Old Testament, as we look to the law and to the prophets, as we look back and we see the Ark of the Covenant, the sacrifices, all of these were shadows pointing to the reality of Christmas. See, shadows are great. And, and, and when I would see my mom, like the, her shadow would give me some hope, but there was nothing like her coming around the corner and it actually being her. Because some of us have also seen some shadows that we thought were going to bring hope, but when that person or that situation or that thing came around the corner, it wasn't what we expected. But that's what the beauty of Christmas is all about. Christmas is the replacement of shadows with the real thing, with real hope, with real life, with real truth, with a real God that declares this beautiful reality in Matthew 1 verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Presence is so powerful. I remember before Christ, BC, this is before I was saved. I was underage. I was like, 18 years old, and I was at a bar in Castro Valley. How did I get in? Don't ask those questions. Just, I got in, okay? And uh, I remember I was, I was at this bar, and I was dancing with this girl, and some of the, the, the guys that she was with, they weren't really excited about that, but they thought I was by myself, but we, I had what, what was called big homies at the bar, and a big homie was, was somebody who was a little bit older and, and extremely swole, and so when they proceeded to want to fight me, it was like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, oh, you guys want to fight me? Okay, well, let's go outside. And so they, ushered, you know, they wanted me to, to follow them outside, so I did, and a couple of the big homies were like, oh. So as we walked outside, I had two big guys with me. I was like, hey, what's going on? You guys ready? And how many of you guys know, we, it ended peacefully that night. They went home and <laughs> went back in. 
I mean, that's just, just, it was just an average Friday night. Presence changes things. But how much more God with us? God with us. The one who was omnipotent, all-powerful. The one who was omniscient, all-knowing. The one who was omnipresent, present all the time. And the one who was sovereign over all things. Like 2020 did not catch God by surprise. Like, like Jesus didn't say, hey, Holy Spirit, what happened? Oh, my goodness. 2020, we missed this. No, God is still working in the midst of all of this. And, and we may have a lot of questions, and, and, and there may be still a lot of uncertainties, and, and we're still trying to piece things together and wonder how all this is going to play out. But the bottom line, if we have the one who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and sovereign over all things with us, that should change our posture of confidence. You see, Christmas wasn't just simply about God with us. This was the birthing of an even greater reality. It was the birthing of not only God with us, but God with us would lead to Christ in us. As he would not just be born of a virgin in, in, in a manger, placed in the trough of an animal. The Christmas story, how we see it publicized, was a lot more dark and dingy, a lot more brutal. Jesus was where the animals were. If you've ever been on a farm, it's, it's a little nasty. It's a little gross. But this, this vulnerable baby, vulnerability, God born in, in, in such a vulnerability, would later lead to his presence impacting the world. And then he would go to the cross and suffer and die and rise again, suffer for our sins, take our penalty so that it would no longer just simply be God with us, but it would be Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, after the resurrection, Jesus said, man, it's really good that I go. I'm going to send to the Father, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of all who would believe. So just imagine not only the omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, all-present, sovereign over all things of God being with us. Imagine him being in us. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead as believers lives on the inside of us. In fact, Paul said it this way. He said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. That as followers of Jesus, this beautiful picture is our bodies, our, our lives are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Back in the day in the Old Testament, the priests would only be allowed into the Holy of Holies once a year. And now Paul is saying, listen, our lives are that sanctuary. Man, God lives on the inside of us. Moses only dreamed of that. As in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon the prophets. But now it's Christ in us. Like the angels uh, uh, we see in the New Testament, Peter describes, they, they long to look into this beautiful reality that you and I have of not just God with us, but Christ in us in us the hope of glory like that's super powerful but if you don't know if you don't really know that or if that's just a concept to you and you don't really understand the power of God's presence in our life it can cost you it can cost you some pain it can cost you some discomfort some fear some anxiety like for example the disciples uh, in Mark uh, I think Mark chapter 4 
Mark chapter 4 or 5, they were uh, on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was in the boat with them. But they were still building a relationship with him. They weren't quite sure exactly who Jesus was 100%. And so a storm arose, and Jesus is asleep on a pillow, just, you know, taking his little morning nap or evening nap as they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and the storm erupts, and Jesus is still sleeping, just at peace. And these guys are freaking out, like, Lord, we're going to die. Wake up. Did you bring us out here to die? What is going on? And he gets up, like, what are you doing? Like, what in the world are you doing? Somebody just changed my slide. Bam. Let me change my slide back there, man. So, so he's like, man, what, what in the world are you doing? And Jesus gets up, and he speaks to the wind, and he speaks to the waves, and everything is calm. Speaks right into the middle of their, not only uh, physical storm, but their theological storm of who is this man? And that's exactly what they say. They, they, they look at each other like, who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, they still didn't believe that Jesus was enough. They still didn't believe that Jesus was all that they need. They still weren't persuaded of his love for, him, for, for them yet. They were still like, I'm not really sure. Like, like I know you're powerful and I know like, you're legit, but I'm not too sure if you're all I need. Wasn't quite per- they weren't quite persuaded that he was enough. They weren't quite persuaded of his love for them. I-, I love how Paul describes it. He says it this way, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears of today, nor our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can, can separate us from God's love. Like nothing Paul is saying can separate us from the love of God. However, nothing can separate us from God's love for us, but we can separate him from ours. Let me say that one more time. Nothing can separate us from God's love, but we can separate him from ours. How many of you guys know it's, it's possible to be present, but not present? Like somebody could be in your presence with you, but you're really not with them. And I think there, there's so many things in our lives that, that, that can distance us from God. And God is, is constantly pursuing us. Like there's nothing that can separate us from God's love for us, but there are some things that can distance our love from him. Things like sin. Like sin is a reality. It's, 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 God says, man, this is the way that life is best lived. And we say, no, we got a better plan. Idolatry. Idol worship. You're like, man, I don't worship like these little grave images or dolls that I see on scary movies, right? But, but idols can, can be anything that we put over God. They can be, even be good things. Like we can make family an idol. We can make relationships an idol. It's when we take good things and we make them ultimate things. We put good things in a God place. So idols just aren't, you know, wicked stuff, even though they could be. It's also anything that we put above and over him. It could be the busyness of life. Come on. I was actually, as we were out Christmas shopping a little bit, I was hoping it would be a little bit more busy because it's kind of like you're looking and you're like, oh my goodness, like stores are closing left and right. Like I, I remember I was walking from TJ Maxx uh, over in Hacienda, from TJ Maxx to Bed Bath & Beyond and my heart was just breaking. I'm just praying. I'm like, man, this is a totally different Christmas shopping experience. Um, just praying for our city, praying over our region. It's been such, such a tough time. And I, I think that's another thing that can keep us is the pain. Pain can distance us from God because we start asking questions like, why did you let this happen? Why are we in this space? If you're sovereign, if you're all-powerful, all-knowing, why is this happening? And sometimes his ways are higher than our ways, and we don't understand them. And, and pain can, can distance, our, 
distance us from God. I think even sometimes growth, like spiritual growth, like God wants us to actually grow up and mature. But in order to do that, sometimes he has to deal with some pain or some hurts or some dysfunction or some wounds in our life. And God's like, I want to deal with those. And you're like, no, 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 I don't want to deal with those. And so God's like, I, I want you to grow. And you're like, I, I don't really want to right now. How about you stay at a distance? You know, even good deeds can keep us from God if we let them. Because it kind of clears our conscience, right? Like, look at all I did for you, God. But God's like, I, I want a relationship with you. I, I want those good deeds to flow from a heart of love for me, not, not the other way around. Like, I'm, I'm trying to work really hard to earn my way to God. That's exhausting. But sometimes it kind of clears our conscience where we can live in total sin, but we do a couple of good deeds and we're like, hey, God, I gave you a couple things today. Are we solid? I, I, think, I think fear can, can distance our, uh, us from God. I mean, think about it. Anybody ever feel like if I give my life to God, he's, he's going to take it. He's going to take all the good stuff from me. Like if I really surrender my life to God, everything that I really love, God's just going to kill the, all the joy. It's going to like have to follow, you know, this book. And, oh, it's gonna, I've never heard anybody complain of the will of God happening in their life. Like, like, hey, PC, did you hear what happened? You hear what happened to John? God's will. Horrible. Like, <laughs> I, I've never heard that. I've heard the opposite where, where people said, I should have listened. I should, man, I should have been. I, I, I distanced myself and I shouldn't have. And I made a mess. I think unworthiness, feeling unworthy can distance us from God. We just don't feel worthy. We feel like we've done too much. We've gone too far. And God wants to deal with some of those areas. And like Peter, um, as Peter was fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does a miracle. His boat's full of fish. And Peter falls to his knees and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What he was saying is, I'm unworthy. And Jesus is like, man, don't be afraid. I'm going to make something out of you, Pete. But I think all of these things that create distance are rooted in the reality of unbelief. Where, where we, 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 we don't really believe God is good. We don't really believe that God is for us. We really don't believe that Jesus really is who he says he is. And just like the disciples in the boat, we don't believe Jesus is enough. And what ends up happening is unbelief gives us a distorted picture of God. Anybody ever try to, to piece together a picture that's distorted? Like where you only get a partial picture? And this is what the enemy, this is what the devil, this is what Satan loves to do. He loves to fuel unbelief because unbelief gives us a distorted picture of God. And that distorted picture of God will eventually lead to disappointment and discouragement about God. And so he, he wants us to only get a partial piece of the picture. I love Michelangelo's painting of God and man. And when you look at this painting, this is the one that you'll normally see at Ross, TJ Maxx, in the painting section, right? Like, oh, that's so special, God and man. Maybe we should put that over our bed and just make us look more spiritual. and You know, like maybe over the couch. But if you look at this picture, it's really distorted. Because it looks like Adam is reaching for God and God is holding out or God is pulling back. But that's really not the picture at all. When you get the fullness of the picture, it's the exact opposite. Adam is more distant. I'm not sure about you, God. I'm not sure if I want to get close. I'm just going to be a little bit careful. And God is reaching into the wind. Reaching through. Look, at His arm is around 
his kids and he's touching this little child with a mangled hand and Michelangelo was saying don't you get it God will press through all the wind and eventually be mangled because he just wouldn't be born in a manger that manger would lead to the cross where he would be mangled just so he could touch us and when you look at this imagery you see that God is in the the part or the lobe of the brain where the imagination is And so God, in all of his imagination, pressing through the wind, thinking, whatever I need to do to reach them, even death on a cross, that I might touch them. So let it be. It just wouldn't be God with us, but it would be Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, when we only get a partial picture, it's a distorted view. We have a distorted view of God, and our heart is dabbling in unbelief, it leads to discouragement, it leads to disappointment. But can I just tell you, one moment in God's presence can change everything. And that's why Satan works so hard to keep us at a distance from God. Like you could do the whole Christmas thing, you could go to church, maybe tune in online, get your little pancakes going, and just, hey, you showed up to church today. Just don't get close to him. Just don't pay attention. Go ahead and listen to the message. Just don't listen, listen. Keep the distorted picture so you only get a partial image so that you can stay in your unbelief and continue to chasing shadows even though there's a real hope, a real joy, a real anchor for your soul. He just doesn't want you to get that reality because when the Lord shows up, things change. And that was really the reality of these two disciples. See, it started in a manger, but Jesus came on a mission. And the mission was to suffer and to die at the hands of sinful men for you and I to take our punishment, to take our sin upon him so that our war with sin and death would be over. That we would have victory over sin and death. That we would be able to spend eternity with God. Like God just didn't leave us hanging in the brokenness or in the darkness. The cross screams that God cares, that God sees, and that God just didn't say, hey man, figure it out y'all. He said, no, I've come, I've come in a manger, but I came on a mission. And that mission is to rescue, it's a rescue mission. But even his disciples had a hard time with this. Like Jesus told them over and over and over, listen, I'm going to die at the hands of sinful men, but, but don't, don't be discouraged because I'm going to rise again on the third day. Like he told them, they just didn't get it. And so what happened is the cross came and it was so brutal. They were like, I don't really care what you said. You ain't coming back after that one. This was too brutal, too bloody. The disciples did not walk away from the cross like, praise God, he's coming back. Third day is coming. They ran and they hid like, what is, they're going to crucify us now. They didn't believe. And two of them, we see their story. They were walking away from Jerusalem after the resurrection, totally discouraged. They had a distorted picture of what was happening. They thought that was it. They thought... We put all our faith in this man, and he dies. Like, we left some of them. We left everything to follow him, and he's gone. Distorted picture. They only were seeing part of the picture. So they're walking away from Jerusalem to this, uh, on this road toward a little area called Emmaus. And there's two disciples, and they're discouraged. They're walking away. They don't believe that he rose from the dead. They're walking in unbelief. They're discouraged. They're disappointed. And then Jesus shows up on the journey. 
And, and this is what happens. Jesus shows up and he says, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And so Jesus is like, I'm not going to quite reveal myself to you yet, but here's the reality. They weren't even looking for him. Like he wasn't even, they, they were just talking about how he had died. They weren't looking for him to be alive. And we see this beautiful reality that when Jesus shows up in your life, you, you come to realize this beautiful thing, and that's this, is that he's looking for you even when you're not looking for him. Like that's the Christmas story, uh, right? Jesus came while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Not when we got ourselves together. Not when we're like, okay, I cleaned up a little bit. Now, you know, Jesus, you can die for me. No, while we were in our sin, unbelieving, wanting nothing to do with God, not looking for him at all, he said, I'm looking for you. That's what Christmas screams. I'm looking for you. And, and he knows, like, like, let me take you back to my story. It was in St. Louis, Missouri. I was 18 years old. I go to St. Louis to visit my mom on vacation. I'm sitting in the back of a church just like this, except it was huge. There was about 3,000 people there. I'm in the very back row. I don't want to be at church. I'm going because my mom asked me to go. Come on, anybody there tuning in today? You're there because mom said, show up, it's Christmas, right? And, and, and this, this guy is, is a guest speaker at this church. I'm sitting in the back. I want nothing to do with God, definitely not looking for him, and he calls me out. The pastor calls me out. He says, I have a word from God for you, and I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> don't, and then I have to walk all the way down. It was old school, right? You walk all the way down to the altar, and he said, two weeks ago, that bullet was meant for you. God has spared your life, and there's no more running from God. Two weeks prior, I was at a nightclub in Fremont. Did a lot of clubbing before Christ, right? And uh, outside of a nightclub in Fremont place gets shot up the guy right next to me gets shot i carry him to the ambulance so i walk away from that moment like how do you know this are you fbi <laughs> well what was happening i wasn't looking for him but he was looking for me this last year i went to montana on a pastor's retreat and went fly fishing on the bighorn river it was so amazing and uh, obviously i have a broken wrist and so fly fishing in the middle of the river is you know it was still awesome. But I was tired at the end of the day. I was fishing in this one part by myself, and I just thought, man, I'm going to wrap it up, wait for all the boys to come back. And so I, I get all my gear together, and I'm walking down, and I run into this older gentleman. And his pontoon boat ended up uh, blowing up. One side ended up blowing up uh, in the middle of the river. So he, he had gotten stuck. He's like, man, I didn't think I was going to make it back to shore. And, and uh, he finally made it back, but he's like, man, it's just that one more thing. And he was just, you could just see just disappointment and discouragement. Man, if just one more thing happens to me. He was an older gentleman. He was a veteran. He, he had, uh, we started talking a little bit. He just lost his granddaughter, drowned in a river that was close by to there um, about, about a year before. And, and so we're just talking, and he's kind of, he's, you know, his mouth is a little bit foul, but he, he keeps correcting himself like, man, Lord, I'm so sorry about my mouth. And he doesn't know I'm a pastor yet, so I just let him keep talking and talking. And, and then so finally I said, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, man, like I knew it. Like, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's okay. And, and, and we start talking some more, and I said, listen, before I leave, I'm going to lay my hands on you, and I'm going to pray for you, sir, because God has sent this city boy all the way from California to the Bighorn River in the middle of nowhere, because you may not be looking for him, but he's looking for you. Good. Laid my hands on this man, and just a grown man, just weeping. You may not be looking for God today, 
But can I just tell you, he is looking for you. And notice how he goes after the, the discouraged, the disappointed, the broken ones. He just didn't hang around, you know, the guys that just, you know, look like they had it all together. No, God loves the found, but he is also severely distracted by the lost one. And we see that in Genesis all the way back in the beginning when Adam and Eve first sinned. Do you know what happened when they sinned? God didn't say, hey, you're sinning. Forget you. No, it says God went looking for them. And not like he didn't know. Like, Adam and Eve, where are you? We're not here. Like, he knows where you are. And God is seeking you out. Will you let him in? If you're a follower of Jesus, there may be some spaces that you have kept him at a distance. Will you let him in? He's searching you out in those areas. And maybe you don't know him at all. And God is saying, man, will you invite me in? God is looking for you even when you're not looking for him. The second thing that we see when Jesus shows up is that he wants to illuminate the scriptures to us. See, the context of this passage was Jesus was conversating with them, and he said, what are you talking so intently about as you walk? Like, he doesn't know. And they said, what? Like, are you the only one in Jerusalem, bro, that doesn't know what's going on? It's about Jesus, the prophet. So it's interesting they call him the prophet. They don't call him the Messiah. They don't call him the Lord. They call him a prophet. So you can hear even the disappointment in that statement. They said, man, we, he was powerful in speech and in deed, but then the chief priest handed him over to, to be delivered to death. And we had hoped, they said, that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Like we had hoped he was the one. And what they were saying was he wasn't the one. We thought he was enough. We thought he really loved us. We had hoped he was the one. But he's not the one. What's happening? Unbelief has led to a distorted picture and image of God. It's left them discouraged and disappointed. And it says this. It says, he said to them, how foolish are you? Like, I love that Jesus just didn't say, hey, guys, it's me. Like, he could have did that. You know, like, literally pulling the wool over your eyes. I was just messing with you guys. Hey, it's me. But he doesn't do that. He points him back to the scripture. He's like, let me, we got to fix the distorted image. We got to fix the distorted picture. And he says, how slow are you to believe all the prophets that spoken? Like, remember, they're all pointing to me throughout the Old Testament. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his, to his glory? It's clearly written in the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Can I just tell you that these guys, they lacked understanding of the scriptures. They failed to believe and understand all that the Old Testament had prophesied and spoke about the Messiah. See, they wanted a Jesus to conform into their image. They wanted a Jesus that wasn't the real Jesus. They wanted God to conform into their image, not them conform into the image of God. And so for their understanding, they're like, we thought you were going to overthrow our oppressors. We thought you were going to take Rome out of the game. And now you died. And they put you to death. Like we wanted you to fit this. And Jesus said, yeah, but you lost sight of this. Can I just tell you, church, that there has never been a time where the, the picture of God has been more distorted in our world 
And I just believe this Christmas that Jesus is inviting us back to the scripture, back to clarify the distorted areas and the misbeliefs and understandings that we have about who he is and how he operates and what God is doing in the earth in our day. It's, it's funny, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, Olivia, she, she's very, uh, she's a brilliant mind. So we have conversations like this. This is my nine-year-old. Hey, Dad, how could God always exist? Let's talk about that. <laughs> like, for real? It's, it's not, it's eight o'clock at night. But we just have those, and so we're talking about the resurrection. She said, Dad, how do we know? How do we know he really rose? And so I could just say, well, baby, he rose. Go to bed. But no, we, we open up 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I said, you know, in court, and I start to walk her through that just one eyewitness account is enough to put somebody in prison for life. Well, let's look at the account here in the scripture that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Like, it'd be really, really hard to convince all those 500 people that what they were seeing wasn't real or for all of them to be hallucinating. And so these are the conversations I have with my nine-year-old daughter. And then I go further and I said, you know, all the disciples actually lost their life except for John. He was exiled onto the island of Patmos because they tried to kill him. Tradition says that they tried to boil him in oil and it didn't work. So they're like, we don't know what to do with you, bro. We try to kill you. You're not dying. Let's send you off to an island by yourself. Sends him off to an island by himself. And what does God reveal to him there? The book of Revelation. And that's where we get the book of Revelation. But all the other disciples, again, they, they were killed for their faith i said listen if you told daddy a lie and then you knew that you were going to get taken away from mommy and daddy and they were going to kill you so when i talk to my nine-year-old daughter don't all right don't judge me and they were going to take you away from your family what would you do she said i would tell the truth so just walking her through the scriptures to see no 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 baby let's 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 help that's those are great questions and i just don't want you to believe because dad is telling you let me bring you back to the scripture so that you can, you can understand. Jesus was changing these guys' thinking. He was clearing up the distortion. Are you with me? The third thing that we see is that Jesus knows that our faith grows at the table. Like he, he's, all of a sudden, something is stirring inside of these guys. And Jesus plays a little bit of a trick on them. He, they get to their house and Jesus acts like he's walking away. Like, okay, let's see what's going to happen. And they said, no, no, you can't go. And the word that's used in the Greek, it literally means they forced him into their house, his house. Like, like, no, 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 you got to come back into our house. And it wasn't because they wanted to give him hospitality. It's because they wanted to understand more. Something was exploding on the inside of them. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa like something is stirring. Something is happening on the inside. Explain the scriptures more to us. We want to hear so much so that they even forgot about the food. Like they, didn't, they weren't trying to just be hospitable to Jesus. They wanted instruction. They, they, they were excited about what was happening. And look what happened. It says this. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and then he disappeared from their sight. It's just shady, right? Here I am. Peace. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And opened up the scriptures. See, as the scriptures started to be opened up, then what happened? So did their eyes. And notice they're, they're just, they're, they're floored. Not even like, notice how they just don't even say like, where did he go? They go right back. When he was talking about the scriptures, like, did, like I, I get it. 
And so I don't think it was just like this moment. He broke the bread and they were like, ba-doom. I think it was this progression of, of, of walking with Jesus. It was the road. He met him on the road. He's explaining the scriptures. He's pointing everything out to them. Then he's inviting them. They, they invited him in to their home, to the intimate setting, the place of imperfection. Like, come and take a seat at my table. I know the house might not be totally put together, but it doesn't matter because I, I want you to come in. And we, we, I, I want to hear more. I want to know more. And then all of a sudden, he's, they're, they're, he's unpacking the scriptures, and then he's breaking bread, and he's speaking, and I think it was like, oh my gosh, it's him. It's him. And their eyes were open. Their eyes were open. It's amazing when we invite Jesus to the table. It was a couple, it was a few Easter's ago, and a lady came up to me, and she said, Pastor Matt, actually, was it Easter? It was I don't know, I preached a few services. It was Easter or Christmas or something. And a lady comes up to me after church. She says, hey, I have a friend that has stage four cancer. It's like the third time getting it. Can we pray for her? She's crying, and I'm like, yeah, let's pray. And so that night, we, we go out to eat. And at the table, I told the Lord, uh, we went to Tippanyaki where they kind of cook in front of you. And, and I told the Lord, I was like, man, I just want to eat and just go home. Love Tippanyaki. Oh, I just want to eat and just, just go on. I want to talk to people. And you know, Tippanyaki, p- people you don't know sit at your table. So you're like, all right, you stay on your side. We'll stay on our side. Don't touch my shrimp. We're good. And, uh, and, and so, so we're sitting there, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, no, Matt, you need to invite me to this table. And so I just started conversating with them. And they said, hey, do you know this couple? And I was like, yeah. And the couple that, that I said, yeah, I, I know that couple really well. They're like, yeah, our kids play baseball with them. And and I said, yeah, I said, uh, we just got striking up a conversation. And, and I said, uh, we were at church this morning. Actually, I prayed with, with her this morning. And, and, I, and we started talking a little bit more. And all of a sudden, she looked at me, and I looked at her. And she said, you were, you were praying with her this morning? She said, you were praying for me. I'm the one with cancer. And I'm like, What? It was like a moment where eyes open. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her. I'm like, this is a moment. Let's just pray right here. Let's figure it right. And so, so I, I think it was, it was one of those moments where we didn't have the answer to all of our questions. God was still unpacking and, and helping us understand all of what the scriptures were saying. And, and these guys were still trying to unpack all this. But, but there was an undeniable sense of his presence. Like, God, you set this up. We, I mean, you can't orchestrate that. And she ended up dying of cancer, and she had me do her funeral, and I preached the gospel to over 700 people. Like, you just never know what God is going to do when you invite him to the table. We make this very simple at our home. Sometimes what we'll do at our house is, is uh, uh, we, we, on Friday, our Friday Family Fun Days, we'll roll out butcher paper on our big table, and we'll just get the crayons out, and our kids write down things that we're grateful for that God has done and is doing for us. And what are we doing? We're just inviting him to the table. We're just inviting him to the table. Like, man, Lord, come on. Just, we, we want you to sit down. We, we want you to teach us. We want to know more. So their eyes were open. And when your eyes are open, all of a sudden you start to engage a little bit different. They left Jerusalem because they were disappointed. It was the place of their disappointment, their discouragement, their upset. We said, we want to get as far away from Jerusalem as we can. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets them on the road. And they start to understand, it's not just God with us. Now it's like he died and he rose. Christ in us. And it says immediately they engaged in the mission. 
It's like they re-engage. And look what it says. It's, it says that, that they're, 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 this moment when their eyes were open, they had left Jerusalem, and now all of a sudden something's changing in their heart. See, ladies and gentlemen, the war of doubt was over. And it wasn't because a French, German, or British soldier stepped on the battlefield and declared a ceasefire. It's because Christ stepped in the middle of their war of doubt, unbelief, and fear and said, it's me. I took the fire. I took the fire. I absorbed the wrath of God. What you saw on the cross was me absorbing the wrath for your sin so that your war would be over. So that because of me, you could declare victory over sin, victory over death. I've called you back to be salt and light in the earth. I've got purpose for you. It's finished. It's not just God with us. It's Christ in us. The hope of glory. And it says this. It says right away they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Long walk. Going right back. Let's go. They found the 11 with those that assembled together saying, it's true. Look what they said. The Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They're like, he's alive. See, John chapter 1 verse 4 says, in him was life. And that life was the light of man. In Christ is life. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. One moment in God's presence changes everything. And so we've, we've dived in together on, on this reality of John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life. But then it says that life was the light. It was the light of man. So I'm going to have you stand to your feet. And as you do, just kind of be quiet. Grab your little candle. This is going to be an example as we declare this beautiful reality that he is both life and light. How many of you guys know that is the two things that we are facing in our day right now? Is it's a wrestle between darkness, so much darkness around us. We need, we need light. And it's it's this desire for life. Because there's a lot of people that don't really feel like they're living, but they're just existing. So maybe today, maybe today you've had a distorted image of God. Maybe you grew up in church or you went to church once in a while, but you just didn't have the right picture of God. You've only been seen from a partial view and it's left you in a posture of unbelief. And you've lived a life of chasing shadows hoping that those shadows are going to satisfy. And you get disappointed every time. And you just look for a new shadow. Can I just tell you, Christmas, you don't have to look for a new shadow anymore. Christmas says, hey, this is the real thing. Real life, real light, real hope, real fulfillment, real joy. Not found in a philosophy or following a list of rules, but found in the person and his name is Jesus. And so if that's you today, and maybe you've gotten away from the Lord, or you've never surrendered your life to him, I just want to pray a simple prayer with you. After that, uh, that pastor told me, hey, that bullet was meant for you, God has spared your life, and there's no more running from God, I went back to my seat. And on my way back to my seat, I saw this little old lady sitting in the back, and the joy in her face 
was so tangible. And I was living in such darkness. And there was like an illumination on her face. So instead of going back to my seat, I just walked right up to that older lady. I said, lady, I don't know what you have, but that's what I want. And she said, baby, you ready to give everything to Jesus? And I said, I don't even know what that means, but yes. She said, your life. And then she prayed a simple prayer with me. And in that moment, God showed up. And I've never been the same. And so if that's you, I want to offer you that same reality. If you say, man, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'm not inviting you to into a religion. I'm inviting you into a relationship with God. And if that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Just say, can we pray it with them, church? If you're online, join us with that. You can take out your phone. If you don't have a candle, you can just be like, hey. Just pray this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me so that my war would be over. Forgive me for my sin. I'm tired of chasing shadows. I need you. I surrender today. I don't even know what that means. But as I'm listening to the scriptures, I know you're calling me. So today, I confess you as my Lord. I give my life fully to you. I surrender. I thank you that you're with me, that you've been looking for me. But now I want you in me. So I invite you to the table of my heart to come in and change me. Fill me with your spirit and use me for your glory and help me to be a light in the midst of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.